Good afternoon, brothers and sisters, and also visitors who have joined us here for worship this afternoon. A hearty welcome to you all and to those joining us via live stream. May the word of God move our hearts to faithfully trust in Jesus Christ as Saviour and cause us to live for him in all of our words, thoughts and actions. The following announcements from Consistory. The Consistory as Elders Only will meet the Lord willing tomorrow evening at 8pm in the Consistory room. And we have been informed that candidate Rodney Dambour has accepted the call extended to him by the Free Reformed Church of Darling Downs. This afternoon's service will be led by Reverend Poppy. And before we worship, before we begin worship, let's first sing together from hymn 38, verse 1 and 4. brothers and sisters, please rise and let's worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's now sing together from Psalm 143, the verses 1, 5, and 6. Oh 
Let's now make a profession of our faith in Christ, and let's do so this afternoon with the words of the Apostles' Creed as set to music in hymn one. now pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Almighty God and Father in heaven, we thank and praise you, Lord, for the gift of your word. We're so thankful that you have revealed yourself to us. Would you tell us about the awesome God who you are? Would you tell us about everything that you've done for us? And you also teach us about how to live in a relationship with you. Thank you, Lord, that by means of your word, you extend your grace to us. You tell us about who Christ is and what Christ has done for us. We're gathered here this afternoon to hear the preaching of your word. We do so, Lord, in humility. Please give us a heart where we're willing to accept what you have to say, where we have a, a blessed time of fellowship together with you, where we're encouraged in our hearts, and where we respond in gratitude and in faith before you. We're thankful also, Lord, that we may worship you, we love you. We are so thankful for everything that you have done for us. Please accept our thanks. Grant that the words that we say, the prayers we offer, the confession we make, grant also that the, the thank offerings we bring before you may be a, a good expression of our love and our thanks to you. Father, we pray that you would please also forgive us for the sins that we have committed against you. We're sorry for for different ways in which we, we offend you. It's not our intention, and we, we ask for your grace and forgiveness. Please hear us in Jesus' name, and please bless our time together. Amen. 
So, brothers and sisters, this afternoon I may preach God's word to you concerning the work of God, the Holy Spirit. We confess that God is, or that the Holy Spirit is true God, and that he's also given to us to comfort us, to encourage us, to remain with us forever. In connection with that, I'd like to read with you from Revelation chapter 1. Revelation 1, we have the account of the, the revelation of Jesus Christ to the Apostle John. And God tells us that this, this revelation was given by the Spirit. In chapter 1, verse 10, we're told that John was in the Spirit, and then he received this special revelation from God. It's one of the great ways in which God encourages us. So I'd like to read with you Revelation 1. You can find that on page 1218 of your guest Bible. Hear the word of God. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings on earth. To him who loves us and who has freed us from, all our, from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes on the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were flames of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last, and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are yet to take place after this. 
As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches so far. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing together from Psalm 66, the verses 1 and 2. This afternoon, I'm going to preach God's word to you concerning the work of God, the Holy Spirit. We're going to do so by looking at what the scripture teaches us, as it's also summarized for us in Lord's Day 20 of the Heidelberg Catechism. If you want to follow along, you can find that on page 534 of your book of praise. So Lord's Day 20 has the heading, God, the Holy Spirit, and our sanctification. What do you believe concerning the Holy Spirit? First, he is together with the Father and the Son, true and eternal God. Second, he is also given to me to make me, by true faith, share in Christ and all his benefits, to comfort me and to remain with me forever. Then, after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from hymn 49, the verses 1, 2, 3, and 4.
Dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, we live in a time where Christians experience a fair bit of persecution because of their faith in Jesus Christ. Not sure if you read Clarion magazine. If you do, then one of the contributors to, to the magazine is his brother Mitchell Bosfeld. He's a student at CRTS, and he periodically writes some articles about the persecuted church. And so recently, the, the May 13 edition wrote an article about Christians in two African countries, in Eritrea and Somalia. Now, if you're a Christian in Eritrea, it's one of the most persecuted places in the world for a Christian to be. It's a Muslim country. They allow, officially, they allow a number of different types of Christians, but unofficially, the only ones who are allowed are the Eastern Orthodox Church. And so it's not uncommon that people are picked up and imprisoned. If you're a pastor, then you're specifically targeted. And it's just really, it's virtually impossible to speak of your faith and to be open about the fact that you're a believer in Jesus Christ. And just south of that, you have Somalia. It's both these countries there on the east side of Africa, right up against the Red Sea and just around the corner there. In Somalia, it's even worse. It's probably the, the most persecuted place in the world. There's no option whatsoever to be a Christian in Somalia. It's a, it's a Muslim country. There's this culture of suspicion. People are willing to report. If anyone suspects or learns that you're a Christian, they report that to the authorities. And the authorities, they actually have the ability to execute you on site. No trial. No worrying about anything like that. If you're a Christian, then they can kill you then and there. Well, you, you understand that it's, it's pretty intimidating be a child of God in one of these countries. There's also many other countries where Christians experience significant persecution. You know, sometimes that, that comes close to home for us. Sometimes we, we read of, of jurisdictions, places where we, we know and love, read of things that happen in Canada or maybe in Europe. Sometimes even here in Australia, you talk to some of the lawyers They'll tell you stories about Christians who, who suffer for the sake of their faith. Sometimes they're fined. Occasionally, you have things where, where people are imprisoned. In that kind of context, it's easy to get intimidated. We have the, you know, these movements around us where there's a lot of opposition, not just to Christians, but, but more generally to, you know, these days it's, it's against Western civilization, the whole woke movement. They're opposed to, to the abuses and the injustices by Western civilization. So they often talk about the victimization of people like blacks in America, or the victimization of Aboriginal people, or gay and lesbian people, transgender people. They really stand up for those people. But if you really think about it, if you, if you read up about it a little bit more, then it's not just Western civilization that they're against. What they're really against is the Christian faith. They seek to deconstruct. They seek to cancel out those who believe in Jesus Christ and those who speak up for the righteous laws that God has given to his people. You know, in that kind of context, one of the great gifts of God is that God warns us that these things are going to happen. He tells us beforehand that if you're a believer in me, then you will suffer persecution. It's one of the first things Christ told his disciples. He said, you're going to go out into the world, and he said, day one, they're going to cast you out of the synagogues. 
There's going to be a time where anyone who kills you thinks that they're going to offer service to God. And that's a warning that gets repeated many times throughout the rest of the scriptures. And it really reaches a culmination in the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, God talks about the great tribulation, the suffering that God's people will endure. But the Lord really wishes to encourage his people that he will preserve them through that time. There's two main themes that come across in the book of Revelation. The first theme is that God is going to act in judgment against those who rebel against him. And the second theme is that the Lord is going to preserve and comfort his church in the midst of those judgments. As his people, we don't have to worry. We don't have to be afraid about what the future will hold. Because you are God's people and because God loves you. And God's going to preserve you and take care of you through to the end. What I'd like to do with you this afternoon is to to take note of the role of God the Holy Spirit in caring for his people, especially in these last days. The Holy Spirit has a special task in preserving us and keeping us safe through to the end. And so I preach God's word to you with this theme, the Lord comforts and blesses his people with his spirit in these last days. We're going to see in the first place that the spirit reveals And secondly, that the Spirit strengthens. So what does the Spirit do? In the first place, he reveals God to us. The greatest gift you can ever know is, or that you can ever receive, is knowing the Lord. Well, the Spirit is the one who gave these words of prophecy to the Apostle John. He did that to comfort his people in the last days. It's really in verse 10 of, our, of this passage of Revelation 1, verse 10. John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches. So John says here he's in the Spirit. What does that mean? It means that the Spirit revealed things to him. By means of God the Holy Spirit, by means of the Holy Spirit, God showed John what was to be, and he gave John these words of revelation. And it's really quite striking, this phrase that he was in the Spirit, it's used four times in the book of Revelation. It's used in Revelation 4, verse 2. There John gets to see the glory of God on the throne in heaven. He was in the Spirit, and the Spirit revealed the glory of God. Then it comes back again in, in Revelation 17, verse 3. It says there that an angel took John away in the spirit into a wilderness where he saw the judgment that was to come on the woman Babylon. You have to understand here, Babylon signifies the kingdoms and the kings who live in rebellion against God. The last time is in Revelation 21 verse 10, there an angel carries John away in the spirit to a high mountain to see the new city, the holy Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. And so, on all these occasions, John is in the Spirit. The Spirit reveals God to John. Well, it's really a a stunning gift. John says in verse 9, Revelation 1, verse 9, he says that this is going to be a time of tribulation and patient patient endurance for the people of God. He says, "You're you're going to suffer. These last days, they're not going to be easy times for you as my people. But the first thing he does is he he wishes to comfort us and to encourage us. And the greatest way that he comforts us in the first place 
is by revealing Jesus Christ to us. If you want a perspective, if you want to be able to deal with life, with the things that come, the most important thing is that you need to know Christ. And so that's what the Spirit does for John. John sees Christ in chapter 1. He sees the awesome glory of the King of the universe. We read there that his eyes are like flames of fire. His feet are like burnished bronze. His voice is like the roar of many waters. I don't know how many of you have ever been to, to the Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls is, is many waters. It's really big water. You get that kind of thing at the ocean sometimes. You have the deep rumble of the waves. The neat thing about the Niagara Falls is that it's constant and it's unending. And if you, if you stand before the water there, then it's just extremely impressive. It's awe-inspiring. That's the, the sense. John stands before Christ. He sees his awesome glory. And just hearing his voice is this amazing experience. It says there that he has a sharp two-edged sword coming out of his mouth, that his face was like the, sh- like the sun shining in full strength. And the sight was so impressive that John passed out. He was so terrified coming to the presence of Jesus Christ. That's one of the great gifts of God, brothers and sisters. If you see Christ, if you understand the glory, the power, the awesome majesty that he has, if you have Christ firmly fixed in your mind, then people, they become very little people. There's not much that a person can do. Then kings and kingdoms, they come and they go. But Christ is the king who rules on the throne. A little later we're told that John also got to see the glory of of the Father on the throne. Revelation 4 verse 2. He's in the Spirit. And the Spirit reveals to him this time the doors of heaven are open. There is this doorway that gets opened into heaven. And John's invited to come up through the doorway. Come on up here. And so he comes through the doorway and he gets to see God on the throne in heaven. And again, the the sight that he gets to see is incredibly impressive. We're told there of the glory and the majesty of God. God is extremely glorious, like the shining of precious jewels. And from his throne comes peals of thunder and flashes of lightning. And under him is this sea of glass as clear as crystal. And around him are these incredibly impressive spiritual beings. These four living creatures, these seraphim. And they're singing. One to another, they're singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And then as representing the church, you have the 24 elders who are falling down in worship, bowing down before the Lord. They're throwing their crowns. So they're all kings, they're all leaders. And they throw their crowns before the king as a sign of submission to him. And they pray to him and they glorify him. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and they were created. We have the sense of the glory of God that's deeply impressed upon John as he stands in the throne room of God. Well, again, there can be people who who want to harm the church, Maybe people who who say and do things that are really difficult for you as a Christian. 
But if you remember that your God is seated on the throne, if you keep in mind something of the glory and the majesty, the honor that he has, then it helps you to, to get a bit of perspective, brothers and sisters. Now, it's true that God will exercise his judgments on earth. We're told about a bit of that in the book of Revelation, Revelation 9. We're going to witness widespread destruction. It even says there that a third of the world's population will be wiped out by the judgments of God. We had COVID. COVID was less than 1% of the world's population. Can you imagine if one in three people get wiped out? From pestilence, from famine, from warfare. It's the kind of judgment that God says is going to happen. When other people experience that, if you you were to tell people in our society that 8 million Australians are going to die, if you were to go through that, where you witness millions upon millions of Australians dying and the same thing happening around the world, it would just be really hard for us to, to wrap our head around. But the Lord tells us these things will happen. And before he does so, he first tells us that the Father is seated on the throne, that the Father has glory and majesty and power, that Jesus Christ is standing in the midst of the lampstands. He's standing in the middle of his church, and he's there to comfort and to help and to protect his church, to keep them safe to the end. It's really quite striking, actually, when you read through the judgments that are going to come down on the people of God. If you read through Revelation 6 to 9, that we read about these plagues that come down on the people in the last days, there's actually a lot of similarities with the plagues that came down on Egypt back in Exodus 1 to 15. One of the other similarities that, that happens between Egypt and, and the, the judgments at the end of time is that God tells us that before he exercised his judgments against his people, he made a distinction between the Israelites who were living in Goshen and the Egyptians in the rest of the land. Many of the judgments did not come down on the Egyptians or did not come down on the Israelites. We actually read a similar thing in Revelation. In Revelation 7, just before the next stage of judgments happen, we're told that the angel stops, everything stops, and he says, first, there needs to be an angel who goes out and who seals the foreheads of the people of God. And so this angel goes around, he does the same thing as putting blood on the doorpost, this time he puts a seal on the forehead of the people of God. And then we're told a little later, It's in Revelation 9, verse 4, that the destroying angels were only allowed to hurt those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And so what God's saying here is he's saying he protects his people. You are my children, you are my loved ones, and I care deeply for you. And I will bring judgment against those who hate me and who rebel against me. But in the midst of that, I promise to be your father, and I promise to help you, and I promise to protect you. Well, the Spirit also reveals to John, chapter 17, verse 3, that the days are coming when the kingdoms and kings who persecute and who leads God's people astray will come under God's wrath. John sees the great prostitute Babylon. He's in the Spirit, and he has this vision of the kings of the earth who are gathered against the Lord and against his people, 
and how God exercises his judgments against them. And so Revelation 17, especially in Revelation 18, there's a calling to the people of God, come out from them and be separate from them, that you won't share in her judgments, you won't bear the plague that I'm going to bring against them. And finally, we're also told in Revelation 21, verse 10, that John is in the Spirit, and then he also sees that the day is coming where the Lord is going to live together with his people. He witnesses the marriage feast of the Lamb, when the Lamb comes down from heaven, where God lives face to face together with his children for all time. You know, in the world of, of trauma, trauma counseling, they say there's a couple of things that really help those people who endure traumatic situations. And one of the best things, one of the most important things, is that people have a sense that it's going to happen. If you know it's coming, it really helps to be able to deal with it. And the second thing that helps is if you're part of a community, if you're involved with a community, if you together with the network of people around you are able to work together and to support each other and to help each other. And the third thing that, that helps is if you can do something, if there's anything that you can do to assist during that time. It's really striking when you read through the book of Revelation, God tells us beforehand that this is going to happen. And he tells us, you're part of the community of my people. I give you to each other so that you can support each other. And most importantly, you have to remember that I am with you, that Jesus Christ is in your midst, and that he's carrying you through that. And then he also talks about what you can do, and we're going to get to that in a minute. There is certainly something that we can do as the people of God in these last days. Well, the Spirit of God, he's very kind in revealing Jesus Christ and the Father to us. He's very kind in telling us what's going to happen, brothers and sisters. He prepares us, and he gets us ready, and he equips and enables us to carry us through it. You know, that's not the only thing that the Spirit reveals. If you keep reading in the book of Revelation, you start in chapter 1, you get to chapters 2 and 3, then we're given the seven letters from our Lord Jesus to his church. And it's really quite fascinating. When you read through those letters, then you have Jesus Christ who gives his instructions to his church, but at the end of each of the letters to the churches, it ends off with the same phrase. It says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let him hear what the Spirit says. It's by means of his Spirit that Christ is revealing these letters to his churches. He's telling you what to do. He's telling you who he is. He's telling you what he's done for you. And it's quite striking the purpose of the letter is to strengthen and encourage us. The Spirit tells us that, that Christ knows us. He knows about the love we have for him, about our patient endurance, about the tribulations, the temptations, the imprisonment, the way his people do not deny their faith in the face of great suffering. And at the same time, he also has encouragement for us and admonition. He tells us, you've lost your first love. He says, you're lukewarm towards me. He says, you tolerate those people who commit sexual immorality, those people who conform to the world, those people who've compromised their faith. You let them exist among you. And you let them have a really severe negative influence in your midst. And so he calls us to repent. And he warns us of impending judgment if we don't, if we don't repent. And then he ends off with the words, he who has an ear, 
Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What a lot of love from our God, brothers and sisters. He cares deeply for us. He wants to bring us into the kingdom. And to make that happen, he warns us, he admonishes us, and he encourages us, and he builds us up. It's a real calling for us to pay attention to the work of the Spirit, to take these admonitions to heart and to act on them. And then at Revelation 5 or 6, we're told about some of the other work that the Spirit does in our life. Revelation 5 is the chapter where John sees the Lamb seated on the throne in heaven. And when he sees this Lamb, then he's just really sad that, or sorry, no, it's before he sees the Lamb, actually. He's just really sad that no one can open the scroll. There is this scroll that's, that's sealed with seven seals. And no one's able to open it up. And so no one's able to unfold world history and to bring history to pass. And so John's weeping and weeping. And then the angel comes to him, he says, don't weep, because the lamb can do it. And then it's quite striking, we're told there that the lamb is standing there as though slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And so they have seven horns here, they symbolize the ultimate and the complete power of Jesus Christ. A horn is a symbol of power, and seven is the number of completeness. So Christ has complete power. He has total power over all things. And alongside of that, there's also these seven eyes, which the scripture says are the seven spirits of God. And so Jesus Christ has complete sight over everything that happens on this earth. It is the sevenfold spirit of God. And then what happens when Jesus Christ, when he sends out his spirit, he sees everything that happens on earth? Well, earlier in the scriptures, what does Christ do when he sees what happens on earth? The Bible tells us that, that God looks on earth to see his people and to strengthen and encourage his people in the course of their lives. You think of 2 Chronicles 9 verse 16. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. God's looking to see who's righteous, who's blameless before him. And he wants to give strong support. He wants to strengthen them and to encourage them to remain faithful through to the end. Well, it's by means of the powerful spirit that Christ supports those who are righteous before him. God's saying, you're not on your own. I'm there with you. I'm there to encourage you. I'm there to strengthen you. And that's a theme that gets worked out in a couple of other places. It's really striking when, when John is in the spirit, in the throne room of God, he sees God on his throne. Then before the throne, we're told of these 24 elders. Then it also says, they're also before the throne are the seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And so the, the implication here is that the Spirit is, is there with the church before the throne of God. And the Spirit is the one who encourages the church, who enables the church to worship God for who he is and for what he does. Now, that's really the work of the Spirit. He, it's by means of the Spirit that we know God, that we love him, that we worship him, that we honor him and glorify him. You know, that's not a new idea. If you read through the scriptures, there's many places in the Bible where we're told that the Spirit is the one who leads us to praise and glorify God for his glory, honor, and power. I'll just mention a few examples. 
It's in Acts 9, verse 31, we're told that the Holy Spirit gave the church a time of peace and strengthening and encouraging it so that it grew in numbers and in the fear of the Lord. The Spirit leads the church to the fear of God, to grow in numbers. Or in Acts 13, we're told of the gospel going out to the Gentiles and the Holy Spirit filling the hearts of the disciples with joy. That's often what happens when when the Spirit is is present among the people, then we understand who God is, and we understand what God has done for us, that our hearts are filled with joy, with gratitude to Him. Or in Romans 15, verse 13, we're told that peace, joy, and hope come to us through the power of the Holy Spirit that's working in us. And so you have these examples in the Scriptures earlier on that's also testified to us here in Revelation that the Spirit is the one who leads us to know God, to love Him, to depend upon Him, and to worship Him. And you also see the Spirit helping God's people in another way in the last chapter. And one of the, the great things that the Holy Spirit does for us is that He equips and enables, He helps us to pray to God. And we believe our only hope is in Jesus Christ. The only way we make it through the last days is if God holds on to us, and if He carries us through this time. It was back in Romans 8, verse 26, we're told there that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. One of the specific ways he helps us is in our prayers. Sometimes our prayer is pretty flimsy. We whip off a prayer before we go about our day. Or when we pray to God, we don't really engage deeply with the Lord. We don't really tell him about the real things in our lives. We don't, really, we don't always pray according to the promises that he's extended to us. Well, the Spirit helps us. He helps us to pray. We have an example of that happening explicitly in Revelation 22. Revelation 22, the Lord reveals to us that the time is coming when he's going to return. He's coming back on the clouds of heaven. We're told there that after we're told that, that comes in Revelation 22, verse 12, and then after we're told this, then in verse 17 it continues... It says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let him who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. So the encouragement that God gives us here is he says that the spirit is praying alongside the church for the return of Jesus Christ. Now, God doesn't expect us to remain faithful to the end by ourselves he helps us by means of his spirit. You know, for us today, it's so easy to, to worry about what happens in the future. Sometimes I have conversation with parents and grandparents, and they sometimes say to me that they're, they're really worried about their children, about the world in which their children are born, and about the things that could happen to them in the future. And sometimes it happens to us that, that you see the things happening in the world around us, and that can really distract your attention. You really get caught up, sometimes in morbid fascination with some of the terrible things that happen around you. Or sometimes it happens that you're distracted. You, you forget all about the service of the Lord because you get so caught up in all the normal everyday things of life. Well, the Spirit helps us to pray to God. The Spirit and the bride. It's by means of the Spirit that the bride focuses her attention on the return of Jesus Christ that we realize that Christ is coming back, that we retain a heavenly focus, that we don't get too wrapped up in the cares and the worries of life, but that we fix our attention 
on the eternal future that's in store for us. Do you need help in your life, brothers and sisters? Do you struggle? Are you at times anxious about the future? Are you distressed about the persecution or the temptations or the struggle that you face? The Lord tells you that you're not on your own. And Jesus Christ is among his church. He tells you that he's poured out his spirit. That by means of the spirit, he reveals himself to you. That by means of the spirit, he strengthens you. He encourages you. He builds you up. And he carries you through to the end. He enables you to pray. And he enables you to focus your attention on the glorious future that God has in store for you. You are not on your own. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. You belong to the Lord, and he's going to bring you into glory. Well, let's honor not just the Father and the Son. Let's also honor the Spirit for his work in completing the work of Jesus Christ. Amen. So let's do that. Let's honor the Spirit. Let's do so with the words of hymn 49, the verses 1, 2, 3, and 4. Now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. Mighty God and Father, we come before your throne of grace, Lord, and we honor you that you are the King, the Creator who's seated on the throne. You have power and authority and honor and glory, 
where the, the majestic angels who are bowing down before you, the church, all the, the creatures on earth, they're singing your praises, they're glorifying you, and they're honoring you because you are majestic, and you are glorious, and you are awesome. Father, we join our voices together with them, and we sing your praises. We honor our Lord Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, who humbled himself, who completed the task that you gave him to do. And because he, he was faithful even to death and bearing our sins on a cross, you raised him to life, and he ascended into heaven, and he's seated with glory and honor with you at your right hand. Father, we glorify Jesus Christ for who he is and for what he's done. We thank you that he is preserving us to the end. And then we also honor the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we, we thank and praise you that you are supporting and encouraging us to the end, that you have revealed Jesus Christ to us and that you reveal the Father to us, that we may know the Father and the Son, that we may have a relationship together with them. We thank you that you strengthen us, that you fill our hearts with peace and with joy, that you enable us to live in the hope of faith, that you fix our eyes on a glorious future that's in store for us as your people. We thank you that you also preserve us in these last days, that the difficult circumstances of our lives, that they don't overwhelm us, but that you strengthen us, that you comfort us, that you remain with us, the Father and, and our Lord Jesus Christ, they have poured you out into our hearts. And so you, you are in us. And you comfort us in a way that no one else can. We thank you and we praise you for the work that you have done. And we pray that you would bring that work to completion. We ask that you would sanctify us, that we may flee from sin, that we trust in the care of our Heavenly Father, and that we fix our eyes on the eternal future that's in store for us. Help us to, to live in anticipation of being in the presence of our Father and help us to, to seek to honor and to glorify Him in everything that we do. We thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we are your people, and that you are our God, that we may have this relationship with you, and that you love us. We pray, Lord, that you would carry us through the individual circumstances of our lives, but you know us, you know the joys that we have and the struggles that we face. A fair number of people in our congregation, Lord, who struggle with pain. It happens in different times, in different ways. We ask that you be a father to your children, that you assist people to, to be able to deal with that. It's especially when pain goes on long term, that can be a very difficult thing. So we ask for your help and care. Also pray for those who struggle with sickness. There's a number of members in our congregation who have COVID, I think especially of our brother De Hope. He's really old man. He's the oldest man in our congregation. And thank you that you preserve him. At the same time, it's a difficult thing for him to be on his own. Pray that you would be a father to him and you care for him during this time as well. Please also be near to all those who are traveling. Thank you that many have the opportunity to enjoy your creation and to, to see some different sights. I want to pray that you hold on to them, that you protect and preserve them. They may have a beautiful time of rest and refreshment and that they're able to come home safely once again. I want to thank you for the holidays that many of the students have and the teachers have. I want to ask you, Father, that you please be with them, that they're able to go back to work again later this week, and, and that that may go well. We ask for your blessing over the education of our youth, that they may be built up. They understand that this world is your world, that they understand that they're your children, that they grow in an understanding of, of who you are and what you've done for them. 
that in their lives that they love you and that they seek to serve you. Father, please give energy and please grant that, that the work may go well. Also pray for, for the school board, Lord. Pray that you bless the decisions that are being made, that you make good decisions that are for the well-being of the, the students and that lead to blessing for us as your people. Father, we also thank you for the faithful work that they do. I want to ask also, Lord, that you please take care of the office bearers and the work that they do. Grateful for the work of the elders and deacons that they have oversight of your congregation. Thank you for, for the visits that they make. Thank you for the encouragement that they offer. Give wisdom to the brothers, Lord. Grant that they're able to know your people, that they, they're able to care well for them. Help us as, as office bearers that you have a heart that it's concerned for your children and that we're necessary, that, that we encourage, that we admonish, that we build up your people. Please give us your Holy Spirit to that end. Also, ask, Father, for the deacons that they can extend your love, that they may lead to the unity of the congregation, that we as your people live together in closeness and that we, that we have a beautiful communion together. But many times we experience that. We we experience a lot of love from, from the members of our congregation. And we're so thankful to you for that. And we honor you for that. And we pray that that may continue. We ask, Father, that you please give us a blessed day of rest. Please accept our thanks that we have this day, one day in seven, where we can set aside our regular work and grant that that may be a blessing for us. I also wish to pray, Father, for a missionary, for Reverend DeYoung. I want to ask that you please bless him as he and his wife and their family, they head back to P&G. Thank you for the time that they could have here. Thank you for the presentation that they could make to the churches. Thank you that, that we get to become a little bit more aware of the work that's being done, also that we can build relationship together with them. We entrust them to your care, Father. Give them a safe trip home again. Grant that they're able to, to settle down in Ukurumpa, that they're able to have joy in fellowship together with, with the other missionaries, that they're able to also be blessed in in establishing churches in the, in the highlands, that the work may go well and that it may rest under your blessing. Thank you that we can be involved in, in knowing them and, and supporting them. And thank you for, for the beautiful spirit that you've given to them. Father, we ask that you would accept our thanks, that you forgive us our sins, and that you hear our prayer. And we pray that you do it for Jesus' sake. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this afternoon you have the opportunity to give your thank offerings to the Lord for the mission work that's being done in P&G. Before you do so, I'd like to read just one, um, a few verses with you from Proverbs chapter 3. In Proverbs 3, the Lord encourages us in our giving. He tells us there, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your produce. And he also attaches a blessing to that. He says, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Well, may he give us his spirit so that we indeed honor him for who he is and for what he's done for us. After the collection, we're going to sing together from hymn 47, the verses 3, 4, and 5.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.